This story has been recorded at an Addictive Eaters Anonymous meeting in New Zealand. You can email us at contact at aeanz.org. And tonight we have Tina. My name's Tina and I'm an Addictive Eater. Hi, Tina. When Jill rang me, I can't, and I can't remember when she rang me, um, to, you know, to ask me to be the speaker tonight, I said to her, I said, I'm not going to think about it. It's not happening today. I'm not going to think about it. And I didn't. I forgot all about it, which was great. And then on Wednesday, it was a very heavy day, and I remember thinking to myself, oh, Lord, I've got another um, um, shift on Friday. No, I'm not going to think about it. It's not Friday yet. And then on Friday, today, my goodness, did the shift go well. I was, I was full of bounce. It was absolutely wonderful. And I said to God, thank you. Thank you for this. And it, that's right, I forgot. Jill rang me this morning to remind me I was the speaker tonight. And it was a very hurried conversation. I said to God after I got off the phone, I'm not going to think about it. Not happening today. You know, not happening now. And I cannot help but be absolutely glad that I don't, you know, I don't go through angst the way I used to do when I was eating. I mean, this is all through coming here. And I don't know why I'm starting off at this end, but it was just something that really struck me over the course of this week, how different life is. Um, you know, I think back to oh, my early years and all the years up to, um, came into the fellowship when I was 43 and a half, so I had a lot of, a lot of eating time. And I, you know, I, I can recall so many times where I would go through agony that I needn't have gone through because I was always thinking, well, what if, what if, what if? Whereas today, it's totally different. But getting back to the food, I always wanted more. I could never get enough. I was a thief, a liar. Um, and it was just so difficult to be anything, anything else. I mean, I didn't want to be a liar because I can remember thinking to myself or saying to myself, 
you know, from this moment on, I am not going to lie. But I just couldn't do it. I'd be lying. Even when the truth would have served me better, out would come lie. And I just couldn't stop it with the best will in the world. I don't ever recall, though, ever thinking to myself, from this moment on, I'm not going to steal. Um, that, that never entered my head. Um, and, you know, I had a lovely girl that I sat next to in class in primary school, and she was a good girl. You know, she was never, ever in any trouble. Not many, well, not that I knew of. And periodically she would take me aside and she would talk to me about being good, of doing the right thing. I'd be sitting there absolutely wrapped, you know, yes, May, yes, May. And it made no difference whatsoever. I was always the same, always reverting to, to type. I just couldn't do it. The food, right from the beginning, my mother was worried about my eating. And, you know, she would say to me, why can't you eat normally? I didn't know what she was talking about. I had no clue whatsoever. And she kept saying it, but it never made any difference. If we went anywhere, the first opportunity I had to steal food, I'd be stealing food. And... You know, people knew it was me. I can remember <laughs> um, spending the night at Auntie Anne's and there was a little room off the, um, the children's bedroom. Auntie Anne had three girls. And I can remember getting up at night and going into the kitchen and foraging around for biscuits and what have you. And, but for whatever reason, I, I could never find things at Auntie Anne, but this particular night I found a box of sweets, new box of sweets, and something else which I can't remember what it was, and I took it back to bed and had it. And I woke up in the morning to hear Auntie Anne and Mother talking about this box of sweets that had gone missing. And one of them said, it must be Tina. And there were four girls in the house. So, you know, they knew. They knew what I was like. And I remember lying there pretending to be asleep because I was so, I can remember cringing inside because they knew. But nobody ever said a word when I finally um, got up. It was never mentioned again. But that's what I was like. Um... My eating got worse as I got older. Um, when I was pregnant um, at 18, it was a wonderful excuse to eat. Um, and nobody said a word during that time. And for the first time, I became obese. And when I had Sharon, I was on a diet again. And I can remember my mother saying to me, because we we had been talking about uh, yeah. my daughter and myself immigrating to New Zealand 
Mother said to me, I know what you're like. You know, you'll go there and you'll put all this weight back on. And that's exactly what happened. So it was her fault. You know, if she hadn't said it, Mother was always right. And if she hadn't said it, I'd probably be fine. Well, it wasn't that way. Um, and from that time on, I was in and out of Weight Watchers, Diet Clinic, Jim Craig, um, all those sort of places more than once, and nothing ever worked. Sooner or later, I'd be eating again. I, I, I couldn't stop it. I remember that at one point, I did go back to Weight Watchers, and I was having a modicum of success because we were going back to um, see Mother and other people, and I was rather apprehensive of seeing Mother, letting Mother see the state I was in, so to speak. So I, I had a modicum of success there. But, you know, the minute I got away from Weight Watchers, I was eating again. And when Mother saw me, because it was on the plane that I was eating, so I didn't have time to put on too much weight, she looked at me and she said, mm, yes, yes, you look, you look good. You know, could do with a little bit more weight loss, but you look good. Yeah, that's fine. And while I was there, went on a shopping spree, which was wonderful. By the time I got back to New Zealand, or we got back to New Zealand, half the clothes I couldn't wear anymore. <laughs> And so it went on, you know, I gradually put the weight on and so another diet. So I was either on a diet or off a diet. I could never find the middle ground, ever. I did try to do it on my own. I can remember thinking at one stage, right, every time I feel hungry I'll smoke a cigarette. And I changed smoke two and a half and I had to give it up because I felt so ill. And then I decided, well, when I'm hungry I will drink a glass of water. I lasted for half a glass. That was it. And I can remember watching this documentary one day, and it was all about um, lung cancer through smoking. And they so it showed some horrific pictures. And there was one scene with this man in hospital. Now, he had had from memory, and I could be wrong about this, but I think he had had both legs amputated through his smoking, and one arm was gone. And he, no, sorry, two legs were gone, that's right, he still had both arms. And he was told if he didn't get up, give up, he would lose, you know, his limbs, and he was still smoking. And I remember I felt so ill that I stubbed out the cigarette I was smoking. I just couldn't handle it. And 10 minutes after the documentary had ended, I was smoking again. I did branch out at one point and tried hypnosis. And this man was very clued up. You know, he knew about addiction. And for the first time, I actually heard that word, but it was in one ear and out the other. Because I said to him, well, yeah, I don't understand. It was comparatively easy to give up smoking, but the food, Ah, he said, that's because you have another addiction to carry you through. So he was really clued up about addiction. 
but it was one more attempt, one more failure. I went back to dieting, and eventually I got to a stage where I couldn't do it anymore. I also got to a stage where, and I could feel this, really feel this, there was a blackness growing inside of me, but, and I didn't know why it was there. I just knew that I was changing, and I could feel the change in me. I was becoming really nasty, and I couldn't seem to control it. You know, I would think to myself, keep your mouth shut, keep your mouth shut. And then it would just be too strong for me, and i think, oh, I'll do it next time. And so I'd open my mouth and say something about somebody, whoever it was. I was also rapidly becoming unemployable. I was making so many mistakes in the job that I was doing and had done for, you know, over 20 years, for goodness sakes. And every job was wrong. I, I just, and I couldn't think of why it was happening. And I do remember, you know, put, putting it down to menopause because it was the only thing that was happening to me. And one day the thought hit me that maybe there was something more to it than that. And that thought frightened me so much, I ate my way through it. I mean, it didn't take the problem away, but at least it, for a while it blunted the edges. I, as I say, I got to a stage where I couldn't diet anymore. I knew I had to do something, but I didn't know what to do. And I remember everything came in threes at that time. And I'd go to the supermarket and I'd buy three bags full of food. Nothing healthy at all, so to speak, aside from bananas and a bit of fruit. But the rest of it was all chocolates, ice cream, all that sort of thing. And I think, right, okay, I'll finish this. Don't want to waste it. So I'll finish it, and then I won't buy any more. You know, I'll do something. But I'd forget. And before I finished the three bags, I'd be down in the supermarket getting another three bags of the stuff, and I'd walk into the house and think, oh my goodness, that's right. I, I, I was going to do something um, when I finished the three bags. Oh well, I better finish these, and then I'll do something. And so it went on. But it was always three bags. I was very fortunate that um, I met this lady, met up with this lady again, who had um, managed, um, she bought a franchise, one of the diet clinics, and um, I bumped into her at a birthday party and she asked me how I was and it just came out of my mouth. I don't know what's wrong with me, I can't seem to stop eating. And for the first time she mentioned this fellowship and that she had a friend who'd been going many, many years and um, she said she would get in touch with her friend. No, she said she'd get it, she'd come and see me. So I gave her my phone number and she never rang and she never came. And I was absolutely beside myself. I was resentful and angry you know, she doesn't care. Nobody cares. If she cared, she'd be ringing me. Well, I'm not ringing her. 
And I didn't. Mind you, I didn't have a number. <laughs> so I just kept eating. But at the end of two months, I'd had enough. And I made the effort to track her down. And I rang her. And I wasn't very gracious at all. And she said, hello. I said, thank you for ringing me. And she apologized profusely. And she said she was seeing this friend of hers and um, this evening, today. And um, her friend rang me the very same day, came and saw me on Saturday. I had not a clue what to expect. And I opened the door to this lady and she was slow. And she had, there was just something about her. Anyway, she came in and she talked, and I wish I could remember what she said. All I remember was she talked about her lying and her stealing. Uh, I do remember trying desperately not to cry, not succeeding very well. But anyway, at the end she said she was going to a meeting on Monday, would I like to come? And I said yes. Because I really didn't know how to say no, but yes just popped out of my mouth. And I said to her before she left, something like, one of the things I'm scared about is that I won't stick. Because I never stuck at anything. She never said a word anywhere. I had visions of the first meeting. I was going to secrete myself in the deepest, darkest corner possible and listen. That's all I was going to do. And we walk into this room and there are chairs in a circle. There's nowhere to hide. There's no deepest, darkest corner. Anyway, we sat down. I had this oversized big bag that I had on my lap hanging onto it. And I watched the door. And every person that came through that door was slim. I was the only obese person in the room, the only fat person in the room, the only pleasantly plump person in the room. You know? Everybody was slim. And I don't remember what was said. I remember laughing at some of the funny stories that people told, but I can't remember. But I do believe that my heart heard. And after the meeting, I said to her, what do I do now? And she said, just go to the meetings. And that's exactly what I did. I went to every single meeting that there was. I knew the next day that I could not walk. There was no way I could walk into a room full of people. So I got there purposely 20 minutes early. And when I walked in, there was just one person in the room, which that I could handle. So anyway, that was the start of coming. As I say, I went to every single meeting that there was. I asked this lady if she would sponsor me, and she said yes. And I think it was, she said, ring me. Now I think, I could be wrong here. Ring me at 6.30 every day or something like that and I did every single evening 
at about, no, at 25 past six, I would be seated beside the phone. And I would keep looking at my watch so that the first ring was on the dot of 6.30 and I did that every single day, I don't know for how long, and I would keep ringing and ringing and ringing until I got her. Um, sometimes, occasionally, I wouldn't get her. Um, she did talk to me about giving up the food, which was something totally foreign to me because I had my own ideas about what giving up the food meant. As in, well, I'll tell her, I'll give up chocolates, but I'll tell her I don't have a problem with sweets. And then I got to rations, twisties, and crisps. And I couldn't decide which one I was prepared or which two I was prepared to give up. And I, I was, so I thought, I'll wing it. So when I rang her this particular evening, she started to talk about giving up her food. I was absolutely horrified. Yeah, it had nothing to do with what I was thinking. And then she mentioned chicken. And I remember saying to her, yes, I know, no skin on the chicken. And this quiet voice comes through, this is not a diet. This is a food plan. And immediately the food plan became rather interesting. Anyway, I don't, I don't remember her telling me to um, get rid of the food in my pantry. I do remember doing that. And I also remember Sharon was there. And honestly, she made me feel almost homicidal. Because as I'm taking bits and pieces out of the pantry, she's saying things like, it's for your own good. You'll be fine. And I just didn't appreciate it. Anyway, and then she said, you know, I don't believe I've ever seen anyone kiss a tin of baked beans before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I can remember looking at this tin of baked beans and I, I would, you know, it was almost like a mourning period of putting this food out on the table. But what I didn't tell my sponsor, or anyone else for that matter, is that I hadn't given away all the food because in my pantry, in a little corner, were these pot pan biscuits curry pot pan biscuits and something else I can't remember what it was I think they were dried plums or something like that and I remember I spent ages upon ages trying to figure out how I could get these pot pan biscuits onto my food plan I was just absolutely mental <laughs> but eventually, I, you know, I just had to give up and get rid of the food um, because it just wasn't going to work. But I do remember the angst, you know, of having to give up the food. I mean, something that, and it, you know, it, it's incredible to me that 
During the last six months of my eating, when I was all dieted out, all the enjoyment of food had gone. And yet, even knowing that, I still want, you know, I still had this little hidden store. I still wanted the food. Oh, thank goodness it's not like that today. So, I, you know, I, as I say, I went to every single meeting that there was, and I started to follow direction. I was very, very lucky in the respect that I was given very strong sponsorship. Um, I would not have responded to, I suggest you do this, or this has been my experience. I would not have picked up on it. You know, and I can remember one example of it very early on. I discovered fizzy uh, mineral water. And I remember telling my sponsor about it. And I said to her, because she said nothing, I said to her, what do you think? She said, if it were me, I wouldn't. And I walked away feeling uncomfortable, but I justified it to myself as in, well, she didn't say no. She said, if it were me, I wouldn't. And I went home, and I opened a bottle, and I had a drink. And I felt so uncomfortable that I left it there, but I left it beside my bed. And in the morning, I had another drink. Went to the meeting, and all through the meeting, all I could think about was this fizzy mineral water at home. I, couldn't, I, I didn't hear a word at the meeting. All I could think about was that. And after the meeting, I went over to her and I told her. And she said, Sophie Wright, that's your first one. Go home, get rid of it, or some words to that effect. I said, well, could I finish the three bottles that are in the fridge? <laughs> no. I went home. And I couldn't think about it. I just opened the fridge, got the three bottles out, and I just emptied them down the sink. I hadn't told her about the dozen bottles more I had in the pantry. Next morning on the way to work, my boss picked me up. I said to him, are you in the market for a dozen bottles of fizzy mineral water? And of course he said, why? So I explained, he didn't understand. I mean, he's a normal human being, normal. Anyway, I got rid of that. Um, I've been so fortunate, you know, in the fact that not only was my sponsor so incredibly helpful, other people in the fellowship were, you know, and I kept hearing the same things over and over again. Get out there, go help somebody else. Keep your vision narrow, keep it firmly fixed on the program. Over and over again, didn't really understand all that. You know, just keep doing what you're doing, you're doing fine. Didn't understand that, so I just kept doing what I was doing. All those things gradually, you know, just sunk in. It's like, you know, even meetings, hearing the same things over and over again, it's being brainwashed in a beautiful way, I, think. I just love it. You know, it's wonderful hearing people share the same thing over and over again because I sit there and think, right, now we get to such and such. 
and then we get to such and such. And now they're going to say this, and now they're going to say that, and sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. And I feel quite disappointed when they don't, <laughs> because it's so good. You know, I need that repetition. I need to be coming to meetings. You know, I need to hear the experience that other people have had. Anyway, I've warbled on long enough, haven't I, Fran? I haven't kept a check at the time. Thank so you. I'll leave it there. Thank you.